As you could no doubt tell from the title, you have begun to listen to the third episode from the Casting Shadows podcast. This podcast is connected inextricably from the written Casting Shadows blog, which can be found at castingshadowsblog.com, and the YouTube channel called Runeslinger. And that name is the name under which I operate online to talk about RPG material. And in this third episode, we're going to get to one of the most enduring topics, one that comes up for me a lot. And that is one of genre. And it kind of makes me laugh. When I originally had the ideas that became this particular set of points, I thought of it in terms of idiom. And I stepped away from that word because it is used in many different ways. It is a very ambiguous word depending on the subject matter, and role-playing games as a subject matter are not nearly mature enough to have developed a clear sense of an idiom of play. Well, maybe now, seven years later, maybe now that this course has reached a level where we might be getting closer to the point where we could look at things in terms of idiom rather than this, rather than genre. Now, I said I find this kind of amusing. I shied away from the term idiom, and that point will allow this episode to connect to the ideas into role-playing games that, have, that are being put forward by Ron Edwards of Adept Play. On two points, this idea of genre and idiom will link back to Ron. And we'll talk about that a little more a little later. Now, the title for this one, unlike in episode two, came to me right away at a very specific point where I realized that this isn't some thing that matters just to me based on my own biases and preferences and the way I the way I game. It's not a minor thing. This is a a widespread and subtle thing. And it's the kind of thing that has that near invisibility until you recognize it. And then it doesn't seem to be all that important once it's been recognized. <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know, in the summertime, the weather is warmer than the wintertime. It's one of one of those things. It's inescapable in its part of the definition of things, and yet once realized, there doesn't seem to be much more to make of it. And yet, it keeps coming up, so there may be more to it yet. So, for this third episode, we'll take a look at what became a blog post and a video on the YouTube channel that has generated 
a lot of discussion over the years. What are we talking about? We're talking about genre is rule zero. Well, there is a little bit of a preamble that we need to get into first for some context. All right. This was written during the transition point where my RPG thoughts were being shared more often now on YouTube than they were being shared here on the blog, which meant they were being phrased differently and they were meeting more immediate reaction from other people because in these days we could still connect a video to another video through a very useful and sorely missed tool called the video response. So someone to whom you were replying would be notified by YouTube that you had made a reply to their video and the videos would be linked together. And this was an excellent way for a community to spread throughout YouTube. And it's, as I said, sadly missed. So, that this blog post in written form and in video form would be prepared and released on the same day was kind of a new thing. And it was in conjunction with discussion I was having with another YouTube channel. Uh, and that channel was called Emergent Play. That channel wasn't an ongoing channel. It was one designed as a specific role-playing game project where a set number of posts on very specific RPG ideas was planned, executed, and then completed. You can still go and see Emergent Play now. It's still a very useful resource. Okay, but I like the video response. I very much miss communicating with uh, Emergent Play on YouTube. All right, so genre is rule zero was a nebulous idea which, because of the influence of a particular game called Technoir, which we'll talk about in a minute, conversations with emergent play, and realizing the questions which were perennial online questions that would always circulate and never seemingly get answered, realizing that pattern. All of those things formed together to allow me to finally find a way to communicate this idea in a simple format that had some meaning. And I cannot express how much I've been surprised how relevant this particular concept has been over the seven years since I put it out this way. I never thought that I'd end up talking about it as often as I have turned out to do. Okay, what is this post? It's called Genre is Rule Zero, and it was released in written and video form on January 27th, 2013. I watched a video clip yesterday evening which asked, Why? In connection to the disparity in numbers between those who will choose to respond to an ad looking for D&D or Pathfinder players, as compared to the number who will respond to ads for other role-playing games, mainstream or otherwise. The thoughts which followed intersected with other thoughts I'd already been having in connection with Technoir, and a discussion I've been gearing up to have about it with another member of the YouTube RPG community. Both sets of thoughts 
kept circling the idea of genre. The resulting tangents of those thoughts, plus a long hot shower, where all the best thinking occurs, were this post and a short clip posted to my YouTube channel. I've talked about genre fidelity before, here in the written blog, and in a Shadowscast episode, but these thoughts took the idea further. What if the ultimate rule underlying all others is not do what thou wilt, but rather genre is as genre does? With Technoir as a framework for discussion, we have a game where the very structure and success of play is so dependent on the player's comprehension of and willingness to portray the noir genre that play will break down or at least be rendered flat by its absence. While in extreme case, it's often such cases which most quickly demonstrate a point. Moving to less extreme cases, we can see the same effect in heroic pulp, swashbuckling, investigation, horror, pretty much any strongly thematic game at which you can throw a set of polyhedrals. Is the same true of fantasy? In particular, is the same true of the style of fantasy represented in games which are made from the same mold as Dungeons & Dragons in its various editions and forms? Has the evolution of D&D-style fantasy created a genre which is so fluid that playing it requires so few concessions to genre conventions as to seem as easy to play as one set in everyday life? Is it this which makes the appreciation and preference for games in this style so prevalent? A character in a two-fisted pulp action tale ought to be defined at least in part by a strong moral core and some beliefs which many of us living in these high-def and overly familiar times might not only not understand, but perhaps have never even experienced. The bleak heroics of the wasted heroes of noir may compel or bore modern viewers equally, but without study or connection through the voices of the time, are they ever real enough for such players to internalize and incorporate them into believable and satisfying play? Is it surprising that the generic fighter in fantasy games is so ubiquitous and embellished as a vehicle for wish fulfillment, while the character quirks and class restrictions of the paladin are so often only endured for the sake of the cool powers? When genre fidelity requires little work, does it doom the game built around it to a meager half-life supported only by those who tend to dream in that direction already? Twenty-some years ago, note from 2020, remember this was written seven years ago. Twenty-some years ago, Vampire rocked the RPG world as have a few other games which broke ground in one aspect or another, and like D&D, it had a genre that was easy to swallow and lick like sweet nectar from our fingers. Not everyone could get behind playing the monster, but the combination of adolescent drives, gothic angst, societal rebellion, and the Church of Immortality made it pretty easy for a huge swathe of the gaming populace to climb on board a train and head off into the world of darkness. Games like Blue Planet, Aces and Eights, Wraith the Oblivion, and all the others which offer great gameplay but have a higher price of admission in the form of getting the setting and adopting a role have not fared nearly so well 
nor is it likely that they will ever drink so deeply of the bloodstream of gamers as those games which strip genre buy-in so completely from their adoption. <laughs> genre is rule zero. At the end of the day, the way that we play, from the way we engage the mechanics to the way that we engage our roles, dictates and defines the genre our game presents. Even among those who play the world's most popular games, this holds true. As the fantasy spawned in my game of Dragon Warriors or Dungeon Crawl Classics or basic Dungeons and Dragons will not be the same as yours. You and your group collectively and unconsciously color the genre to the same degree that my groups and I do. And those of us who choose to play with genre know that it plays as much a part of a successful game as the characters and the rules, even when left to the pure chance of being a byproduct of play, unconcerned with such lofty ideas of what sort of tale our play will create. Genre is rule zero. It exists whether we knowingly and purposefully create it or not. Doesn't it? Looking over this blog post now, seven years later, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's really interesting to me how, how vital, how relevant it has remained uh, across time. A lot of what we talk about changes as games develop. Things become less important because... Newer designs of games have been written to address them or specifically capitalize on them or ignore them, that sort of stuff. A lot of things become less of or more of a problem over time. Now, not very long ago, within the last two weeks at time of recording, there was a discussion going on at Adept Play. Adept Play is a site hosted by Ron Edwards where people can go to talk about a lot of different things, namely actual play of the games that they enjoy and participating in discussion of everything that has to do with playing games and enjoying playing games. And the discussion came up about the difference between genre and idiom. And this is a discussion you'll get into at some point when studying things like literature or film or other expressions of art. It's, it's kind of inescapable when you get down to the point of how the sausage is made <laughs> or when you get to the point of critiquing how things come together. Now, when I wrote Genre is Rule Zero, I had a long argument with myself about the title and about the phrase itself. And I knew that Genre is Rule Zero is more memorable and I knew that muddying the water by talking about idiom also would just annoy me because it would amplify the effect of what it was that I was trying to communicate not being communicated. <laughs> I hadn't been blogging long. I hadn't been interacting online with the RPG community long, but I had been doing so long enough that the specific properties of the internet and the specific properties of communication that takes place in only one medium, that of you know people reading your text but have never 
you know, never having heard you speak, not really knowing how to interpret it, and so on and so forth. Or even in video, where a video might be too long, didn't watch. If you didn't get the point out in the first 30 seconds, then, you know, it was forever obscured. So I had a, had enough of that to worry about being as complete or as articulate as I might have wanted to be. And in this case, because of the enduring nature of this concept, the, the way that this concept has managed to survive in my RPG conversations over the years, I guess I made the right decision. But having the conversation recently about the difference between idiom and genre, it made me think about this post immediately and the thoughts I had had when writing it, and I felt a little twinge of regret. So here in this podcast, we get to reclaim the use of idiom a little bit. So I think it's unlikely that anyone listening to this podcast will need me to explain to them what genre is and what idiom can be in relation to it. The recent discussion on adept play about genre and idiom chose in the concept of role-playing games to define it like this. Genre is the solidified, accepted presentation of a form of fiction, let's say, an idea that we cannot change or it will not be genre anymore. An idiom is a specific way that a particular group has of expressing their identity, which, over time, may solidify into genre. And so the prevailing attitude at Adept Play is, be involved with idiom, don't be involved with genre. Any of us with an interest in underground music or, you know, particularly something like punk rock can certainly feel uh, an echoing empathy for that sentiment. I don't, I don't think I precisely agree, and I certainly wouldn't have expressed it this way had I chose to incorporate the idea of idiom into this post seven years ago. What I was thinking goes more along these lines. That genre is the formalized idea. And this is a pretty, or it can be, a very broad or a very narrow definition of a particular intellectual property or a particular form of fiction, let's say, that a particular group of people understands and are able to codify and get a certain amount of, of acceptance from an audience, that people agree that, yeah, that's what the thing is. And so we can look at genre as heavy metal, punk rock, folk rock, that kind of stuff, We've, if we were to use um, music as an example. Well, where does idiom come in? Idiom, I agree, is the expression of the individual group, but I see it as within the genre. Now, that idiom might in itself grow and become its own genre. It might develop over time and become distinct in its own right, or it might not. 
a writer, a novelist, might function within the genre of mystery quite successfully and quite enjoyably for their entire career, or they might go on to create their own distinct genre of mystery that we had not yet seen. So, we are slicing hairs, we're playing with semantics, but that is the difference that I see. I don't see genre as having to be frozen in place in such a way that it denies creativity. I see it as a breeding ground for idiom. So, when we think about that in connection with genres rule zero, then we can see why I would have this argument with myself about using idiom or not using idiom. The particular expression of play at our tables is what we're going to get. It's going to create its own specific output. And if we do nothing about it, if we do not engage ourselves in the sort of cycle of, of play and reflection and change and more play and more reflection and more change, more discussion, more interaction about play, if we refuse to participate in that cycle, then we will be the victims of genre. We will not escape from it at all. That's true. We'll have no control over it. We will not be consciously choosing to portray a particular genre. We will be the unconscious creators of it. Our own particular idiom of play, the way that we play with each other, will also simply change. It will depend, be dependent on mood and timing and location and whether or not so-and-so had their Wheaties that day. Again, we will have no control of it or maybe even awareness of it. And so we'll be left asking ourselves questions like, why, why, why does the game go well sometimes and so poorly other times? What can ever be done? You know, Genre is rule zero. If we don't choose to step in and make it our own, it won't disappear it will exist in its own right. We can't escape it, but we can take control of it. So, a game like Technoir thrusts you into a situation where your decisions are very strongly affected by the system. To such a degree that if you are not behaving in ways that conform to all the factors that go into creating its genre, if your particular idiom of play does not work within harmoniously those notions, then play will at best be unsatisfying. And the, the rule system will at best be opaque to the point of incomprehension. But if you explore what it means to be portraying particularly a noir character in the kind of amoral setting that cyberpunk suggests. Then, all of your decisions in character as character 
make sense. And you'll find yourself acting in harmony with the rule system, not having to make decisions that conform because if I don't, I'll be punished by the rules, but finding yourself enjoying the support of the rules because you are playing in harmony with the game. It's pretty interesting, but like I said, it's pretty extreme and it has its own particular quirks, some of which uh, require experienced and conscientious play to not have manifest as problems at the table. So it's pretty interesting. But once we can like zoom in on the topic by looking at something like tech noir, we can then zoom back out and look at other things like uh, cosmic horror or you know a zombie game or some kind of investigation game or fiasco or whatever. And we can start to see that if we sat down to play Fiasco and we were expecting things to, you know, to, to feel like a Coen Brothers film, but they don't really. What was the reason? Were people fighting against it? Were people simply not aware that that, that was a goal? Was there... Harmony. Had there been communication? Did we accomplish what we set out to do? Were we even conscious that we were setting out to do something? Either way, play produced something. It might be something like a story, or it might be more like an experience. But either way, it's colored by the sum total of everything that occurred during gameplay. Every in-character utterance, every out-of-character utterance, the way people occupied the space, the attention they paid the game, their relationships one to another, all of these things mattered. All of these things went into creating what was created. And this, tied to the notion of rule zero, or the golden rule, that being, if you don't like something, you can change it. And therein lies what we're talking about. Your group might take a Star Wars game off the shelf and say, we're going to play Star Wars, but unless the group understands what the group means by playing Star Wars, then the output is likely to be different. You don't get to play a Star Wars game just by picking a game that says Star Wars on the cover. Some, <laughs> some assembly is required. And that really is the essence of this particular post, and it's really why year after year leading up to this point, and why I predict year after year proceeding from this point, it will continue to be something about which we talk. So, genre is rule zero. Expressed in that way on January 27th, 2013. Now, as an added bonus, I had mentioned earlier that there were two ways in which this post reminded me of the work of Ron Edwards. The first, of course, was that recent discussion about idiom and genre and how maybe I see things a little differently, which is unusual for me. I've said before that I think uh, every 
original idea I've ever had about a role-playing game, uh, Ron Edwards has already had. <laughs> and I mean that exactly how it sounds, meaning I haven't had an original thought. No surprise. The second way that this post reminded me of his work is in relation to the big model. Genre is rule zero seems to be a, on a small scale, in microcosm, a, an example or a reflection of the big model. A, perhaps a practical example of it that has its uses. The big model has its very specific uses of understanding what play is. And this is an expression of how what play is has an effect on play itself. And I find that interesting. And it's one of those things that resonated with me when I finally uh, was exposed to the big model. So, this... I guess, is the sum total of my thoughts on this post from 2013. All right. Unless you've chosen to listen to the what we call the outroduction around here for no particular reason, unless you decided to listen to it first, you've reached the end of episode three. And if you've come that far, well, I want to thank you for listening. It's not always easy to get meaning from broadcasts or podcasts like this, whether they appear in written form on a blog or in video form on YouTube or here in audio format. So if you are making the effort to connect with these ideas, then therefore, in a sense, connect with me, then you have my thanks. And if it's possible for you to comment or interact with how these ideas have occurred to you or manifested in your own play, maybe not so much this topic, but other topics that have appeared so far and will appear in the future, then please feel free to let me know. This is the end of episode three of the Casting Shadows podcast, which is connected to the Casting Shadows blog, found at castingshadowsblog.com and the YouTube channel called Runeslinger. Until next time... Take care.